Welcome to MCC from the Capitol, a podcast produced by the Missouri Catholic Conference. We invite you to listen along as our host and executive director, Jamie Morris, discusses public policy issues from a Catholic perspective. We hope you enjoy this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Welcome to the MCC from the Capitol podcast for our last legislative roundtable of the session. I'm your host, Jamie Morris, flying solo today. I'm here to discuss how session ended for the 2023 session and just give you an update on some of the priorities that passed and some of those that didn't pass from the MCC. So overall, uh, you know, it was a successful session, I think, uh, in many aspects. There were a few things that as always happens every year, didn't make it across the finish line. Um, And this year ended a lot like the last couple sessions have ended where dysfunction in the Senate really stalled out on some of the bigger priorities, especially of the Republican caucus. Um, You know, we'll get to that later. But, you know, the last two weeks of session, you know, were really hampered, I feel like, by a lot of filibusters um, and and just a lot of infighting and not necessarily between the Republicans and Democrats, but again, amongst factions within the Republican Party. And so that really impacted uh, the final work product of both chambers. So as far as the MCC priorities, we did have you know, a handful of our bills pass in some form and just want to run down a few of those that did make it across the finish line and were truly agreed and finally passed. First up was the adoption tax credit. Now, this one was passed as part of Senate Bill 24, and that bill was actually initially titled uh, the Missouri First Responder Mental Health Initiative Act. And so to back up, What you find most years is that a lot of these bills are filed on their own, but a session drags on and, you know, time is limited. A lot of these bills, these singular bills get thrown into other pieces of legislation that are moving. And so a lot of these bills become omnibus bills that, you know, may or may not have topics that are all completely related. And it's just the way that the legislature does business. I'm not saying that's probably the best way to pass legislation, but it is sort of the traditional way that the session tends to go. So these adoption tax credits were, again, passed as part of a of another bill. We currently have a $10,000 per child tax credit for non-reoccurring adoption expenses. And with that, there's an annual statewide limit of $6 million a year that can be given out in tax credits. And we were in support of that initial bill from a couple of years ago. What the new law does is it adjusts that $10,000 per child maximum every year for inflation so that that number could raise uh, year to year. It also removes the $6 million yearly limit. So now the state could give out an unlimited number of tax credits. And for the individual, you know, what's most important here is it makes the tax credit fully refundable, meaning that you can get a tax credit even if your credit that you're owed is larger than your current tax liability. So you could get a refund 
for the full amount of your expenses for the tax credit. And as was the case with the original bill, this is just another avenue in you know the pro-life legislative toolbox of trying to help those that are seeking to adopt and to help with what amounts to very high expenses to take part in an adoption. And so we were in support of the bill. We were in support of the initial bill as passed a few years ago, and we're very happy to see that program expanded. Another area that was passed and uh, was a very much a bipartisan effort was Medicaid postpartum care uh, and Senate bills 45 and 90. And we've talked about this at length throughout the session, but currently those low-income pregnant and postpartum women um, that are receiving benefits through uh, Medicaid, through the Mo Health Net for Pregnant Women or our Show Me Healthy Babies program, uh, those women are eligible for pregnancy-related health insurance coverage throughout their pregnancy and for 60 days following the end of the pregnancy. There's been a bipartisan push the last couple of years to expand that coverage. And so Senate Bill 45 extends that coverage for these low-income women to include full Medicaid benefits for the duration of the pregnancy and now for one year instead of 60 days, one year following the end of the pregnancy. When I consider that we, specifically those of us who are of the same party as myself and those of the other party as well, we, we who talk about being pro-life, I don't know how we do that and then cut off the most vulnerable of our society after 60 days. I believe if we're ever going to spend money in such a way it ought to be for those most vulnerable among us, those very ones that we fought for them to be able to be born. We have to take care of them. This was one of those bills that it had support across both parties and really brought a lot of different stakeholders and groups together uh, in support that normally wouldn't be aligned. You know, you had your pro-life groups, you had your medical groups. Everyone from the full spectrum, child advocacy groups, all came in and were really pushing this as another aspect of the pro-life movement as a way to help Missouri's dismal maternal mortality rates. So in 2019, 75% of pregnancy-related deaths in Missouri were determined to be preventable. Those deaths were attributed to things like embolism, hemorrhage, infections, concerns with cardiovascular health, chronic health conditions. And there's one common denominator that can save these women's life, and that's healthcare access, a very, very important bill. And, and so we were very happy uh, that this made it across the finish line. Now, another one that we were following in the past was our Benefits Cliff Bill. And so this was passed in a couple different pieces of legislation. It was passed in Senate Bill 106, which was another sort of omnibus bill dealing with health care. Um, it also passed as part of Senate Bill 45 that we just discussed on the Medicaid postpartum care. And again, it's just kind of another way that things are done toward end of session where you know, you'll see some of these bills that are gaining steam or that are, you know, more popular, that they could be added to multiple bills in the final weeks of session and could pass in multiple bills, um, you know, sort of as a belt and suspenders type of approach where, you know, if you want to make sure you get a bill passed, you're going to 
try to amend it to anything that you can that you think has a chance of making it to the governor's desk. And so the benefits cliff language passed in a couple of bills uh, in the last weeks of session. And what the benefits cliff bill does is it creates a transitional benefit for TANF, the temporary assistance for needy families, for SNAP benefits, food stamps, um, so that an individual doesn't immediately lose all of their benefits if their income exceeds the maximum allowed. This is a great bill. This is something that we've been working on for years and years and years. It's been a bipartisan effort to essentially wean folks off of assistance, whether it's TANF or SNAP, and make it easier for Missourians to get what they need to be successful working citizens, um, while at the same time making sure that all of their needs are being met. Why this is called a benefits cliff is that what we have found is that as an individual maybe gets a new job or takes a raise and their income is pushed just above the limit for these benefit programs, they lose all of their benefits. And a lot of times the amount of money that they lose in benefits far exceeds the amount of the raise that they're getting. And so it discourages individuals from taking pay raises from as the sponsor said, from betting on themselves, from trying to find good work that pays well and get themselves out of the cycle of of this assistance. And so this bill will gradually transition individuals off of these programs, uh, meaning that they don't lose all of their benefits all at once, that they gradually step down the amount of benefits as their income rises. And so it gives the individuals time to transition to self-sufficiency and encourages work, encourages financial stability, all of which, you know, we are in support of, um, you know, the dignity of work, but also having some level of social safety net to help those that do need assistance at one point. The, the only caveat with the benefits cliff bill is that it did pass subject to appropriation, meaning that in order to implement the program, the legislature needs to fund it. And so next year, the General Assembly will need to fund the program in order that it could be uh, properly implemented. And so we'll continue to work with our partners and uh, Catholic charities to lobby for funding so that we can get this transitional program off the ground. Next are probably the most reported on bills of this session. And we're realistically the um, most debated bills this session, I I would say, uh, the gender transition bills. More versions of these bills were filed than almost any other topic this year. Um, And and two of them did end up passing, although one of them didn't pass in the original form, uh, was a slightly pared down version. But Senate Bill 49 was the SAFE Act. And that bill stated that no healthcare provider shall perform gender transition surgeries on any minor, but also that until August 28th of 2027, no healthcare provider can prescribe or administer cross-sex hormones or puberty-blocking drugs to a minor for a gender transition purpose. And again, as you heard, you know, August 28th is the sunset. And that was a provision that was added throughout debate, response to a Democratic filibuster of the bill. And so what that means is that this ban will be in place until August 28th of 2027. So there, there's four years that this will be in effect. And if the legislature wants to continue the ban at some point prior to 2027, 
they will need to reauthorize the legislation again. And so until that time, no puberty blocking drugs or cross-sex hormones can be given to minors. One of the other concessions and amendments that were made to the bill was uh, that minors who are currently receiving such treatment in August of this year, those individuals can still continue with their treatment program. Um, And I say treatment here, you know, just using the language of the legislation, you know, obviously our view is that this is not sufficient medical treatment for gender dysphoria uh, and causes more harm uh, than it helps. You know, these are experimental treatments. There's really no studies on long-term effect on these. Um, But in the final version of the bill that was passed, the legislature is still allowing those that are currently undergoing treatments to continue on those treatments and won't cut them off from that. The other bill that passed was Senate Bill 39, and that was the uh, Save Women's Sports Act, and that it prohibits, you know, whether it's a private, public, charter school, or any, you know, public or private college or university from allowing a student to compete in an athletic competition designed for the opposite biological sex. You know, again, very hot button issue that's been discussed the last few sessions. I think it is continuing to be more in the forefront, you know, as far as state legislatures across the nation for both of these bills. And so, that you know, there were a lot of hearings on this this year, you know, a lot of very strong testimony and debate on the floor. But ultimately, both of these bills were passed and are heading to the governor's desk. Now, those are the bills, you know, just kind of a snapshot of the bills that we were following that that did pass uh, this session. Um, There were also a handful that we were uh, supporting that just, for whatever reason, in most instances, just ran out of time and so didn't make it across the finish line by the end of session. Uh, Probably the biggest proposal that we were following that didn't end up making it was the child care tax credit. This was one where there were multiple uh, versions of tax credit legislation that would either provide a tax credit for individuals seeking child care, for employers wanting to provide child care facilities, and for child care providers themselves, all with the intent of trying to make child care more readily available and more affordable that we know that there is a child care crisis in the state and across the nation and that it is becoming difficult for those working families to find adequate child care and so this was a bipartisan push this year again this was a broad coalition of groups making a push to try to alleviate some of the problems with child care availability in the state and so You had groups like Missouri Chambers of Commerce, you know, coming in and testifying that it was a workforce development issue. From our perspective, it was also a pro-life issue, you know, and and there were other pro-life groups that came in in support of this legislation. And so there was a lot of push. There was a lot of momentum. And these were some of the casualties of the dysfunction of the last couple of weeks of session where the legislature just ran out of time. So that was one where we think, you know, I would expect that these bills will be back next year, again, because they have such wide ranging support, and it is such an important topic and pertinent issue right now. 
Another one that didn't pass was our religious liberty protections for campus organizations. This is one that's kind of fallen into a pattern. This is the bill that would protect those faith-based or belief-based campus organizations from discrimination based on their requirements that their leadership adhere to the tenets of their faith or of the particular belief-based groups. Once again, this was voted out of the House and was heard and voted due pass out of a Senate committee, but just ran out of time before it could be debated in front of the full Senate on the Senate floor. To me, this is a, a very common sense piece of legislation that doesn't even protect just religious-based organizations, but any belief-based organizations on campus. Uh, so my hope is that the next year we'll get a little further along, maybe get a debate on the Senate floor, and, and hopefully a vote in the near future to get this passed. Another area that, that stalled out was school choice legislation. There were a lot of vehicles, whether it was you know limited to public school choice, open enrollment bills, bills where the money would follow the student, uh, whether that be to private or public institutions, um, expansions of our current empowerment scholarship program. There were a lot of vehicles out there that, that would seek in one way or another to expand school choice. And for whatever reason, we couldn't get a consensus on one piece of legislation to get passed. And so all, all of these versions stalled out. The public school open enrollment was probably the closest bill to being passed, and it stalled out again at the end of session. So as I keep saying with a lot of these bills, I would suspect that that will be another one that will that the legislature will look to address next year. Um, you know, this is an issue that isn't going away anytime soon. And then finally, the other big one, which was not one that the MCC had taken a position on, but was... I would say probably the number one priority of the Republican caucus coming in to this legislative session was initiative petition reform, uh, making it more difficult for citizens to amend the Constitution. This was a priority of the caucus you know, throughout the year, and I thought was if there was any piece of legislation that was guaranteed to pass this year, uh, you know, my initial thought was, was this would be it, and it did not get across the finish line. This was one where I, I think sort of the infighting amongst uh, the Republicans in the Senate uh, really harmed the chances of initiative petition reform passing uh, in the legislature. And and again, this was not one that we were involved with and didn't have. We don't have a position on you know how difficult or how easy it should be to amend the Constitution. However, this does impact, you know, the next topic I'd like to talk about, the abortion initiative petitions that have been filed uh, with the Secretary of State. Um, as we've talked about before, uh, there have been 11 petitions that have been filed that would each in their own way roll back Missouri's pro-life laws. You know, not much has changed in their status, quite honestly, since our last legislative roundtable. The comments are closed. Uh, the Secretary of State has a period of time where they will um, receive comments on a particular proposal. We are past that point, but the proposals have not been released uh, and approved for circulation to gather signatures. And of course, from our perspective, you know, we are keeping a very close eye on these petitions because I would expect that they will get approved for circulation very soon. And at that time, what I would suspect is, is that the group behind all of these 
will coalesce around one of the 11 petitions. For the cost involved and for you know the difficulty in collecting signatures, it doesn't make sense to spread your resources amongst 11. And so they will choose one of the petitions and use that as their vehicle. Again, all of the petitions are a little different, but all would substantially roll back Missouri's pro-life protections. And so I would just say for those in our network, be on the lookout for more information and for action items as the ballot initiatives are approved for circulation. This is an issue we're already having discussions amongst pro-life groups and, and other stakeholders. Stay tuned, as they say, uh, we will have more information as the process continues on. And so with that, I know that was a lot, but you know, we, we very much also want to thank the members of our network for hanging in there with us, not just for this podcast, uh, having to listen to me for the last 20 minutes or so, um, but for hanging with us this whole session and for supporting all of the work that we do at the MCC. And before I go, with this being the last legislative roundtable of the session, I'd like to personally thank the other members of the MCC staff, Kurt, Cindy, and Cindy, who do the work, you know, with along with me here at the MCC to keep things running and for their tireless work this session. They not only worked with a slightly smaller staff this legislative session, but also were hamstrung with a brand new executive director. Um, this year. And so, you know, I, I do want to personally thank them as well for keeping me and the conference on track this year. To the extent things ran smoothly, it is all of their tireless work behind the scenes. To the extent that someone may not be completely pleased with, you know, something we did this year, that probably falls to me. But I, I do want to thank them and for the members of our public policy committee and, and our board of directors of the bishops for, you know, really being such a good support for us this year. And so, with that, uh, we want to thank all of you again for your support and for tuning in to our legislative roundtables this year. Please be on the lookout for more episodes of the podcast this summer and leading into the fall. And until then, thank you for listening to MCC from the Capitol podcast. God bless. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Thanks to GovWatch for the House and Senate audio clips. To hear more from the Missouri Catholic Conference, visit our website at mocatholic.org. That's mocatholic.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app.